I was like, girls with fat asses can do more than twerk. So then the whole basis of the video was showing girls with fat asses doing regular stuff. And I did one with a girl shooting a rifle with a fat ass. It was another one with a girl getting tased with a fat ass. <laughs> Welcome to Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people. I can say whatever? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. You can say fuck all the time. All right, cool. I just want to make sure I know what you was doing with it. Let's get it. Yep, I got it rated explicit. You can get as X-rated as you need to. <laughs> Is it always explicit or are you just doing this shit for me? Hey, creative people. Welcome back to Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people. I am author and musician and podcaster Christopher Talon. And this week, I'm bringing you an interview with one of my favorite comedians, Detroit's Josh Adams. You have probably seen him either on HBO's Hard Knocks or on Facebook or Instagram stories from reels of him making fun of all the Detroit Lions. And uh, you've probably seen him on some other things, too. If you uh, watch comedy on TV, he's got a ton of credits. I'm not going to get into all that. You can look it up yourself. I'll have links for him in the notes. We had a great conversation about comedy, about business, about promoting yourself, and being okay with moving at the speed that you're at, which is a, a big thing for creative people, people our age in general, maybe even. So some of it's funny, some of it's just really good advice, and uh, I think you guys will enjoy this one because I had a really good time. So if you didn't, at least I did. Nana, boo boo. Okay, here's the interview with Josh Adams, one of the funniest people in America right now. And I'm done talking now. This is me done being talked. Okay, here's the interview. have it marked that way and then even if it's not i usually don't change it just because you know eventually if somebody listens to one where maybe i have a guest that doesn't swear and then they go over to another one and it's me talking to a surf photographer about how blippy the guy that <laughs> that kid's character on tv used to uh, have a comedy channel where he would shit on people like okay. literally shit on people i mean that's crazy okay so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i get it so I've seen you twice now. The first time was when you were headlining that show with Mike at the listening room and then oh. just the other night. And one thing I like about your style in particular is some people are like at the front of the stage, leaning over, almost like trying to use their will to like impose their comedy on you. And you have more of this just kind of like we're just hanging out kind of style. And like maybe I'll say something funny. Like, you know, you're going to say something funny, but it's it feels more like we're just hanging out when uh, when you're up on stage. Yeah, man, I I feel like uh, you know I I think I heard Chappelle say this one time. 
and I never realized I did it, but I don't chase the laughs at all. It's kind of it's kind of one of those things where it's like we're gonna have fun, we're gonna kick it, and eventually something gonna come get said that we all just gonna end up laughing about. Cause I'm I'm there trying to have a good time too. So if I ain't having fun, then I feel like why am I doing this? Like I, I don't want comedy to feel like a job. It don't it it feels like a thing we all experiencing together. So that's yeah, it's very much true to be like, yeah, 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 that I'm not really chasing the laughs, but we're gonna laugh yeah. a lot. I was thinking about it earlier, like, how am I going to approach this? And one way I thought about coming at it was kind of like the way that sometimes a basketball player, they say, this guy lets the game come to him rather than trying to force everything. It's kind of yeah. like, kind of the same way. It's funny you use that. I use a lot of sports analogies. It's kind of, it's most definitely like that. I'm like a player now who's older, who still has the athletic ability to do what I want to do. But now I know how to get to my spot. So it's almost like the game is easier to me. It's like, oh, if I just get to the, my, to the to the elbow, I'm gonna hit my shot damn near 90 percent of the time. So yeah, that's pretty much what it's like. I just let the I kind of let everything come. I, I just I feel like I know what I'm gonna say sometimes, but then I know I'm not gonna get to 70 percent of it because yeah. God gonna throw go throw something in there that I'm just gonna run with, and then we gonna then we all gonna have a good ass time off of that. Yeah, I mean, just the, like you said, things will come to you. Like uh, I wasn't at the one show that you did outside here in Grand Rapids, but. <laughs> Mike was like, first thing he did, he got up on stage and one of those beer carts goes by that people pedal and they're all going, Woo! and he's like, oh my God, it's a vehicle completely powered by white privilege. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, that's, and that's what it be, man. Like sometimes you go up there and you just, it's, it's like every, I try to make it that every show is not the same. Like I feel like I want the show to be unique to each audience that I perform in front of. And that might be hard, but to me it's like, that's just the best way to go about it. People kind of leave feeling like, all right, I don't think he did none of this shit before, even though I might weave in some stuff that I've done. But in reality, I be just want to have, I be want the overall consistent line through it all is that I want to have fun when I'm in there too. So yeah, yeah. I'll just throw some stuff in there, man. Yeah. Cause I saw you I'm trying to think when you were at the listening room, it was a couple months ago anyway, maybe, maybe five, six months ago. And then I saw you do like that type five when you dropped in, what was it? Five, 10 minutes you did? Yeah, over there at the Don't Tell. I did like, yeah, yeah, seven, five to seven. Okay, yeah. And I was listening to it, and I was just like waiting for a, a familiar joke or a familiar punchline. I was like, oh, shit, I think he did a completely different five from the hour that he did the last time I saw him. Yeah, that definitely was different to say. I was working on some, I'm working on some new stuff. Oh, I got a special I, uh, I want to record probably at the top of next year and then put it out at the end. But yeah, it was some new stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely was some new stuff. Yeah, which is, which is refreshing because... You know, you see it. I'm sure you've seen it more than I have. You'll see somebody at a club do a set. You'll see them three years later, same set. Yeah, yeah, they can get like that. But I improvise so much that I leave so much money on the table. When I mean by money, it's just material. And yeah. I've said stuff and people be like, hey, man, can I take that thing you said about drinking? <laughs> I forget it. And I'm like, I guess. I don't remember what it was. But now it's like, oh, I got to, you know, I can bring some of this stuff with me and kind of put it in my set and, you know, kind of work on it and tinker with it and make it into a real joke so yeah. I, I do that all right and we're gonna get into some crap stuff but before we do that i kind of want to backpedal a little bit earliest moment where you're like oh you know what i'm not i don't want to use like a derogatory term here i'm not like a normal person i'm a i'm a creative person i don't I, I'm, I'm not, not destined, destined to be, be like, like just comfortable with like, like well, I've got this job. Like, you got to make stuff. You got to do stuff. When did you start to feel that? Oh, we. Uh, when did I first realize that I? 
not even a comedian necessarily, but just that you had something in you that wanted to come out? When I realized that I wasn't going to be a professional football player and I was like, all right, I graduated high school. College ain't that important to me. What is the thing that I need? I got to, what am I going to chase every day when I get up? I think mm. like in my head, when I look at people, I'd be like, damn, what like is, did you just get like, when I, when I was a kid, it was like, all right, man, I got to graduate. I don't want to be the, the lame motherfucker that's still in that 14th grade, that's 18 in the 10th grade. It was like, okay, so I graduated. Are you going to college? Are you playing football? And I wasn't doing it. I was like, what is the thing that I am going to chase? And it was like, oh, I always wanted to do comedy. And then that became the thing that I was like, all right, I'm going to pursue this thing for the rest of my life and reach these levels that I want to reach. So I think it was that when I figured out comedy was my was my thing. So yeah. like a little after high school. And another thing, this is this is kind of a weird thing uh, to just kind of throw in there. You talk about uh you know, at one time you were thinking about athletics and you're not a small dude. And I actually had said something to Mike. I was like, damn, dude, like Josh looks like he works out, but I didn't know he was like big though. He's like, yeah, he's like six, five legit. And I was like, yeah. yeah, comedians. I can never tell how tall somebody is on stage. Like I saw Cam and someone's like, he's six, nine. I was like, he is. <laughs> yeah, Cam Cam big as hell. You know, his people, his dad was like an NBA player and all that. Like his, yeah. he come from a family of like giants. So, um, yeah, I'm 6'6", six, six. and then, you know, I work out, so it's like, I just feel better. I always like athletes, so I always, I always felt my best when I was in my best shape, so it was just like, I went through this stage, though, I'm not going to lie, in life where, you know, you grown, you ain't got no discipline, so I was fat. Well, I mean, fat, as fat as a skinny motherfucker could be, it was like I, was, like, I had a stomach, <laughs> then I, yeah. I was like fat, super skinny at one point in time, and I was like, man, I want to get back to some type of middle ground where I feel good, or, you know, when I feel good, I, you know what I'm saying, I perform better, so. Yeah, yeah, and and it's that thing about comedians like not being in shape. It's like it's weird to be in shape and be funny. Like you almost can't be funny and be healthy. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Like you got type two diabetes, or you got to be <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, anorexic to be funny. So you know, I'm kind of trying to break that uh, stigma too. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. Uh, I think it was probably Joe Rogan because he's jacked. He's like, yeah, man. Uh, when I started out i always wore really loose clothes because i didn't want people to know like i was in really good shape because I, I thought that would be distracting <laughs> i don't get that i think we put a lot more on comedy than we need to like you just i think comedy funny is funny it's about your perspective it's really your mind it had nothing to do with what you look like if that's the case just wear a costume like you know that i mean clowns would be selling out madison square garden if that was the case you just put on something <laughs> that's what we know to be funny right so I think it's just some weird shit we put out there. Like people have an idea of what they want to see. You can't be a decent looking person and funny. It's fucked up for some reason. It's almost like you got it all. Yeah. Yeah. You saw a lot of comedians and to some extent you still do a lot of female comedians that'll just like put on like real, like just dormy looking clothes instead of like dressing up like they're going out. You know, that was a, that was a big thing for a minute. Yeah. Dress how you want to dress. Like, and I mean, I get into it with comedians all the time. Like, it's a time and a place where you might you might wear a suit to perform, but in reality, I put on what I'm comfortable in. So yeah. I don't try to outdress my audience. I don't act like I'm finna perform, you know, at the Met Gala sometimes. Like I just don't <laughs> you might catch me in a hoodie and a t-shirt and some jeans that not ironed, but I'm still gonna do my thing. So it's all these different rules and comedy. Like you can't look too good, you can't be healthy looking, you can't dress like a bum, you can't wear shorts on stage. Just can't start with a dirty joke. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like, it's too many rules. It's like too many rules from too many different people. And yeah. I, 
comes to comedy, especially stand up, you should be able to do what you want to do because being comfortable is the, being comfortable and having fun is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that. I wanted to talk about this later, but it just it, it makes sense to talk about it now. Have you ever had a moment on on stage doing comedy where you feared for your physical safety? Because I've seen, you know, obviously the Will Slap was uh, big, but then just recently too, a girl was on stage talking about Trump or something. Like somebody in the stage kept yelling about Trump and she was like, yeah, no, I didn't vote for Trump. And then they threw a full can of beer right at her face and she missed it. But Yeah, I saw that. I saw that video. Yeah, I have. I mean, I do comedy in the hood. You know what I'm saying? So it's always somebody in the audience like that. that that's an audience full of... Uh, a lot of times it's a bunch of hecklers, you know, because everybody, you know, in the urban circuit, like everybody think they think they can do what you do. Like comedy is something that like you got to show them that like, no, I do this at another level. But just yeah. the one show I did was at this. Op- um, it was like an open mic, but it was a music open mic. And somebody asked me to come down. And I was like, all right, I will come down and perform anywhere to grab a mic. So I get down to the spot or whatever and I'm performing and we on the dance floor doing the show. And people surrounding the stage like they finna watch rappers and singers perform because that's what they doing. So I'm performing, doing my jokes. And um, these two dudes, they was together. They started kind of talking shit to me because they think they funny too. And they might be, but they just ain't, you know what I'm saying, at the level I am. So then here it go. I just start kind of roasting these motherfuckers, like hitting them. And everybody laughing. They homeboys, all the people from the, all the people in the bar, people that just came to watch the show. And these dudes gradually started getting closer and closer and closer and closer to me like, walking up on me Bruh. and they got literally like here and here both of these dudes and i'm just leaning back up against the uh glass uh the wall it was like a, you know it was a mirror up and i'm leaning yeah. on the field just doing my set still roasting these motherfuckers as they like literally right here and they were smaller dudes than me but they was just in my shit enough yeah. and i i stopped at some point and was like i'm like security are you gonna get these motherfuckers like this ain't a part of my show nigga like i didn't invite these dudes here yeah. so, but for some reason it was like that was a situation that they wanted to go there, but for some reason, I don't know why I was so cavalier about it. Yeah, like, I've had those scenarios. I don't know, maybe because I'm, you know, I ain't a small dude. So I guess when you walk up on me, it's kind of like you think twice. But yeah, yeah, yeah I've, I've been in those situations. I, I haven't had somebody try to put their hands on me, but I've had it like they act like they want to go there. But then when you don't back down, it's like, okay, so I can't outwit him as far as being funny. I can't intimidate him as far as like man on man. So it, it, it just kind of stalemate. You know, and then I never really pushed it. Like, I'm about it. If you put your hands on me, then I got to do what I got to do. But outside of that, I'm just, well, you just talking. And yeah. I think you can talk more shit than I can. So, and then I and then I got uh, I got technology in my hand that allows me to be louder than you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah. You're not going to win. But yeah, it's it's happened. I'm, I've seen comedians get hands put on them and shit thrown at them. And we like a fraternity, though. A lot of times, it's almost like if you fuck with a comedian, whether the I Green like room it, comes I, out and it's like, hold on. <laughs> yeah, green light. Like, I'm kind of ready to go go there, so... Yeah, 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 it's happened, man. And it, like, that's why the Will Smith shit didn't blow my mind. It wasn't like, oh, it's gonna be a rash of uh, serial comedian slappings in the world. I was like, nah, man, it's been like this. <laughs> yeah, and really, in in terms of people that uh, have been assaulted or attempted to have been assaulted on stage, that one was pretty minor. Did you ever see the comedian that had a guitar and hit a dude in the face with it that was heckling him in the front row? No, I didn't see that. No, I didn't see that. Right. I think it was an Australian guy or something like that. That's the only time I've just seen an audience instantly turn on the comedian. Instantly. Wow. 
Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess, man. I don't know if he was in the wrong and the right. I don't know what. You got to defend yourself at the end of the day. If a motherfucker walk on that stage, you kind of got to play how you going to play. Oh, no, this dude didn't even come at him. This dude was just like talking shit while he was performing. And he was like, you know what? Fuck you. And he just hit him in the oh, face wow. with his guitar. Yeah, that's a little overboard. It's like, dog, if you <laughs> ask the staff to tell him to leave or, you know, just keep talking shit, but don't hit a motherfucker with a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When did you actually start comedy? When was the first time you got on a microphone and was like, I'm going to tell jokes? First time I started comedy was uh, when I got back here. I moved back from Michigan slash Florida mm. in between two spaces. And then I came home. And then a guy that I grew up with named Clayton Thomas, who was a big comedian out in uh, L.A. We went to high school together. Mm. So I'm at uh, Wayne State University up here. And he was just uh, performing at a, uh, he was performing at a talent show that uh fraternity was uh doing up there and he saw me he was like bro it's so crazy that i'm seeing you i do comedy now man and i always thought you was the funniest dude in high school you should be doing comedy now now that i see you bam. so it was like from there we hooked up and then i eventually like probably three or four months later after meeting him i performed at this place called the magic box in detroit mm. yeah it was my first time so you already knew somebody who was in the game a little bit did you get help did you have like was he kind of like your mentor starting out or did you kind of already have an idea like well, well, i kind of know how comedy works and i know i'm funny i'll figure it out uh i mean mentor i mean i guess he could say he introduced me to it and once it comedy is one of the things if you got it like if you have a car and you can go somewhere you can do it like in detroit yeah. and i i'm assuming it's like that anywhere like you just got to find out where it's at and he was just my introduction to like, okay, this is where they do comedy at. Like places you would drive by and never know that on a Wednesday night, they're in there performing comedy. So nobody ever told you like, this, this is, is how you actually like, like sit down and like write jokes and like work, work on your set, you know, away from I, the stage I, or any I, of that. I research on that though. I think I kind of took my time to like read like, okay, Richard Pryor and mm. like different books and stuff like that about how comedy works. It was like, oh, you need three to five minutes set. Like, back then, I believe I might even Googled it. I mean, I Googled it. Uh, whatever we was using back in the uh, the, the med medieval times. <laughs> yeah. um, Asking Jeeves? Yeah, I went to the internet, agjeeves.com, ag.com, and shit like that, and printed out, like, what do comedians do? And how much do comedians make? And I was like, oh, okay. So this is a guest spot. is three to five minutes. Uh, MC does this much time. So it was like, I need three to five minutes of something to talk about. Yeah. And I came up with three to five minutes and I went and my first time I did, you know, I did really good. Well, let's talk about that. Just that first three to five minutes. Did you sit there and like come up with some stuff, write some stuff down? Do you kind of work it out in your head and then like try it on some people? No, I wrote it down. I kept my comedy to myself. Like I really was scared to let people know because I didn't want to do bad in front of nobody. You know, you just. Yeah. I mean, I everybody's got an ego, especially creative people. Yeah, most definitely. And I think I just was very insecure in general. So it was like, I had, I mean, just to back up, when I had moved, when I had got out of high school, I moved away to Mississippi on my, where my pops lived at. Because I wanted to start comedy somewhere where nigga, nobody knew me at. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And I had all of the clubs that was in the area. And I was like, I'm going to drive to these clubs and perform comedy. And I don't know nobody there. So it'll give me a chance to get good so if i'm bad fuck you i don't know you you this is pine bluff arkansas nigga i don't know you and that was my mentality when i got back i didn't tell nobody i did comedy i just would go to these spots and because they were so low-key nobody would be there that i knew and by the time people found out i did comedy it was because i was good at comedy really early so then i started getting on shows and then you know back then all only promotion was flyers and posters 
So people go in a gas station and see a flyer and be like, this is so I really would just work my material out back then, like in the mirror to myself and just saying it over and over again. Then just performing it at the open mics that I would go to. How often, like early on, because you said that you would kind of work it all out privately how you thought it was going to go. How often were you like surprised where the laughs came or didn't come early on? Were you like, oh, shit, that part was funny. I didn't even know that was the joke. Yeah, I, I don't even, I don't know when I got to the technical side of it where I realized like, oh, OK, I need to start. Maybe I need to cut that part out because it's unnecessary and it's not getting the laugh that I thought. But I was just uh, bro, I was just grateful that I was like good at the shit. Like I was I couldn't believe that. And then people was letting me know, like, bro, you kind of one of the best writers in the game right now. And you brand new. And, you know, people kind of took a liking to me real early. So the whole thing was a surprise. Like, man, I love it so much that, like, when I got paid the first time to do it, it blew my mind. It was like, man, I do this shit for free. Like, I'm just like, I can't believe I'm a, I'm doing comedy. I'm going to a place on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'm performing. And now I'm on a flyer and I am doing comedy. These things that I am saying are making people laugh. Yeah. I think the overall experience was just a surprise to me because I kind of expected it to go bad. Like you like, man, how did shit? <laughs> yeah. So when did you feel no, no, no. Even before I get to that one, I'm going to ask you this. you first started was the two three four comedians that you were like man if i could ever be as funny as these people oh okay because i discovered a lot of my favorites later on off top tommy davidson who i just got to perform with at mark Reilly's comedy castle on the 16th of october so i was like that was like a full circle moment for me because i saw <laughs> a special feeling in philadelphia when i was a kid and i was like i don't know what this is but i want to do it and it made <laughs> me funny and from there it's like so tommy davidson i would say Conan O'Brien, mm, Sinbad, and Martin, and Jamie Foxx. But it changed, it changed once I got older and started watching comedy. Yeah. Like, these was just like, the Jamie Foxx show was funny to me. So he was a funny. I, I don't even think I saw a stand-up, but I was like, Jamie Foxx funny. I was like, uh, Martin, the Martin TV show was funny. Conan O'Brien was just like one of my favorite late-night show hosts. So I yeah. just... I, that was comedy-esque even though it's not stand-up it's more like you know late night hope shit yeah oh and richard Pryor, i can't believe i fucking forgot that i would buy i would buy the i would have my dad when we would because we would drive everywhere so if we would go from mississippi to home detroit we would jump in the car and drive so we would stop at truck stops or like just uh stops where you get ass up at i would go in there and see the richard Pryor tapes and i would he i would buy them and yeah. we would play them and, and he would laugh at the shit and I just like that. So Richard Pryor. I can't believe I forgot to say Richard Pryor. Yeah. Richard Pryor and George Carlin were the first two comedians that I ever heard of because my dad has uh, a ton of old records. And we would I would just go look through his records when I was younger because I thought the, the art on him was really cool. Yeah. But then I got to these records where I was like, why is this one guy got his finger up his nose like this, you know, in the George Carlin cover? Then I pull out another one. And it's Richard Pryor surrounded by a bunch of Ku Klux Klan and says, was it something I said? And I was like, what is what is this? And I yeah. was like, oh, this yeah. is comedy. Check this out. Yeah, man. They were them two dudes right there, man. Paramount. They like they like magic and bird. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, when it, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that would have been a crazy time to have been doing comedy, except back then, if you did comedy, you were almost like you were like a step above homeless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then people, it wasn't a big enough platform for people to like pay enough attention to 
kind of censored what they were saying. So it was like, you can do and say what you wanted because it was a comedy club. You had to be there to see it or yeah. you interested in it. Like you said, like I said, you could drive by. Like just in my my days of doing comedy, you could drive by shit and not know. So imagine back when the art form was still not new, but they were able to take different kind of uh chances and it wasn't a large audience of people yeah. still away. So it was like, yeah, it was a different time, bro. Yeah, and George Carlin was even still getting arrested for just saying funny shit into a microphone that people were like, you can't talk about people's genitals. And <laughs> They changed the game, man. Out in front of everybody, man. Yeah. Well, you said that your your real favorites you discovered later on. Who's really floating your boat these days? Okay, so on my list still, I mean, Richard Pryor kind of offered it just because it's almost like a kind of go without saying. It's like saying Michael Jordan. Yeah, it's like that's like a Mount Rushmore. These people are obviously yeah. great. Yeah, so Tommy Davidson is still up there because he inspired me. But like Tommy Davidson, Patrice O'Neill, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, and um, oh, I mean, and then I and then I got a uh, slap like Kool Aid's, uh, a guy from Detroit who uh, passed not too long ago, maybe about three, four mm. years ago. But he was just like the man around here, and he was just he was like one of the funniest human beings on the planet, man. A amazing writer. Uh, had the business of comedy down, man. He kept comedy afloat here in the city for a long time. Had like he turned this whole club into like this 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 restaurant into a comedy club hmm. once a month. Like for like seven, eight years. It was like, all right, we going to see Kool-Aid and them over at uh Nick's uh gaslight. So that'll hmm. be my five right now. I'll have to look in is uh you said Kool-Aid, like the drink? Yeah, like the drink, yeah. C-O-O-L-A-I-D-E. Okay. Can you find much of his stuff on YouTube or anything? Yeah, he did BT. He did uh, Who's Got Jokes. He did a lot of stuff. So you can pull some of his stuff up, man. He was like one of the. Yeah, he was like he he was like the the king of comedy in Detroit. Like period. Like when nobody fucking with him. Nice. I'll try to remember. Uh, I wrote that down, so I'll try to find like a a good set of his on YouTube and link it up in here. got some acting credits and then recently you were on hbo to the lion's faces being like these guys yeah <laughs> all well, up to the lions though i'm a fan i'm a fan yeah yeah shout out to him man for real uh i mean i mean as far as breaks i guess stuff like tv um i think oh nine i got to do bt's uh uh i want to i want a bunch of competitions like uh out in grand rapids i won um the funniest person in grand rapids uh, I came in second the first time. I lost to Nardo's, and then the, the I came back the second time and won. So uh, that was like a big deal to me. Um, then from the Grand Rapids comedians were like, "Man, fuck, we didn't even get somebody from Grand Rapids to win." Yeah, 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 it was crazy. <laughs> but you know, it was just one of those things. But I really just did the competition because I wanted to get seen. I wanted to be. I wanted to get seen by uh, the bookers out here. So I was like, yeah. "All right, why not come do this big competition that they sponsor?" And if I win or just if they see me, I can get some work. So it wasn't like I was coming out here to win. I mean, but the money wasn't bad, but it was. You uh, didn't come out there with the Michael Jordan, like in your Lamborghini with your <laughs> big cigar. Get the fuck out of my way. But I mean, <laughs> it was funny because it was a bringer show. So it was kind of like bringer shows for people who don't know as far as stand up go. Like that's a show where you bring people and those people obviously going to say you was the funniest person, but. Yeah, whoever brings the most people was the funniest. Yeah, I somehow came and threw like a monkey wrench in it the first year I came because to get second place in a bringer show, people was like, oh, then anybody can win if Josh damn near went out there and won it. Um, So the next year, the competition was even longer because so many other comedians 
had got into it because it was like, oh, anybody can win this competition. It ain't about bringing people. Josh came out there with nobody and got second. And yeah. then I kind of won the next year. But uh, <laughs> so that was pretty cool, man. Um, that I did BT's Apollo and um, was on that episode of that with Tony Rock as the host. I won uh, some money from that. And from there, I did laughs that they showed that on Fox and it's still up on YouTube. So many competitions I was in one. And then from there, boom, 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 BT Apollo did that. And then I guess, yeah, I guess, I mean, then I did some movies and stuff that people probably, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because I saw the, uh, just just the stuff that you posted the other day where uh, <laughs> you were the cop coming up on those kids. Oh, yeah, I did. I mean, it's so many movies. Like, people, like, we in this era, this independent film, like, we got a film scene now far in Detroit. So a lot of people shoot movies. So I was in the spot in a movie called The Gram. Uh, I just, and then I had smaller roles and a bunch of other stuff. And, I mean, I did a, I did a lot of shit, man, and then um, that I'm kind of proud of. And then... Like now, like I said today, now man, getting to uh do the Fox with Monique and DL Hughley to host that, and mm. then that to kind of like, I would have been good had I just did it without the, all the extra shit. But the extra shit happened and made it even bigger as far as like more people knowing what happened, and then the opportunity of just being able to perform in front of my people. And then when all this shit went down, where they were trying to figure out who was going up next, I got to do more time and perform in front of this audience, like in the like one of the most historic venues in the city of Detroit to do more time in when they was only going to literally have me do about nine minutes of comedy and hmm. bring these celebrities up. I ended up doing damn near an hour because hmm. they, they was like, we're Monique. She ain't here. DL ain't going up. He said he going last. And, you know, so I got to do more time. That was cool. And then, um, yeah, I got the hard knocks call to do for HBO. Yeah. I'm um, like, you know, like I didn't plan. Anything. So that, that, that was just out of nowhere. They weren't like, Hey, we're looking for a funny Detroit comedian. Send us your hot reel or whatever they call it. No, nah, man. Just the quick breakdown of how it all played out. <laughs> but the dude I'm cool with a rapper named train. He's a teacher. And one of his students works for the PR team for the Lions. Mm. So he saw me performing at a, the Aretha Amphitheater. I was opening up for this uh, concert. They do a summer series concert. They do a concert. It's a summer series that they do with R&B singers. And I opened that up. He saw me there. He called Train. And it was like, the Lions looking for a comedian. I'm assuming they 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 went through, they, they probably went through a couple people and then it was like, they couldn't get them. And then he was like, I know somebody. They called me. They called me Thursday. And they needed me to be there Friday. So... It was the whole conversation of, can you do it? I was like, well, how much is paying? They was like, yeah. I was like, where is it at? They was like, it's in Indiana. So I'm like, oh, I got to drive there. Are y'all going to get me there? It was like, nah, can you get here? and We'll pay for that, blah, blah, blah. So once I did that, I'm like, cool. I didn't pay no attention because I'm not, I mean, I'm not a Lions fan per se. I am now because they showed me so much love. I'm very invested in the team now, but I'm not a Lions fan. So I didn't know. I was going to say, you, you don't get the uh, on-field game treatment and not, not walk away like, all right, this place is all right. Yeah, like they came, I mean, because they they young dudes, like they, you know, we we kind of grew up the same way. So it's like, I kind of got a love for them and the coach and the way they treated me. So it's like, okay, now I'm rooting for them. Like I got, the, I'm, I'm, I, you always invested just because you live here. But I wasn't because I'm like, I mean, I'm really a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So they're my guys, guys, mm. guys, like just any sport thing. They're my guys. I live and die by them and I hate it. And it just, it's the worst feeling in the world being a fan. Because yeah. you live and die with every play. Like, you want them to score every play. You want them to stop them every play. Yeah. And it's the worst in the world. But um, <laughs> I didn't know nothing about the Lions. So they sent me the first two episodes of the Hard Knocks and was like, all right, so this is the feel of the show. 
And then they gave me all these rules as far as like what I could say, what I didn't, can, what I could say and what I couldn't say. And it just made me feel weird about it because it was like, I don't like having restrictions on my shit. And a lot of the stuff they was talking about, I wasn't going to do or say anyway. And I started to just give it to somebody else because I had a show that night back in Detroit. So it was like, do I even feel like going down here? Because I don't know what I'm walking into. Like these dudes is fighting for they, these dudes is trying to fight for their reputation for one. These other dudes is trying to fight to get a spot on the team. Yeah. I don't know how this is going to play out, but like, you know what I'm saying? Good and thing. some of those dudes are just unhinged too. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let's just talk about that. Like they run into people for a living. So it's like some of them fucked up for yeah. real. But you man, see a guy get put a guy out for possibly his career and he's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's like, <laughs> that's one of the, uh, and that's funny. Patrice O'Neill got a joke about, uh, how football ain't football no more. Where he say, you know, you like, we didn't, when somebody get hurt, we didn't pray with the other team. He was like, he was like, we used to, uh, celebrate. So that's why it's funny that preachers <laughs> hilarious for that one. But yeah, yeah, it was like, but I went, great experience, man. And then it was like a lot of doors opened up from that, man. And um, like it was just a, it, it, it kind of jump started my it put me in a, a space, man, where it was like I was getting calls and emails from 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 play people and place like I was on ESPN. Like I was a football player growing up. So in my head, I'm gonna grow up and be on ESPN throwing touchdowns, but the way life worked out, I ended up doing comedy and still ended up in a space that I wanted to be in. Yeah. If that makes no, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Cause it actually put me right in mind of, um, I think it might've been Tom Segura's last special. Like he kind of spoiler alert. If anybody doesn't want to hear this, he kind of ends the show with a little speech saying like, follow your dreams and, you know, have an idea where you want to go, but be okay. If it doesn't go exactly the way you want it to. And that's the best way to put it. Cause I was lost after high school, like, damn, I'm not going to the league. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, this was something I always thought, like, I was going to do. And then I had I had this moment where I was like, damn, I just did HBO. And I just performed in front of a, like, I felt like I was in the locker room again with a football team. But these are professional athletes, millionaires, people in the peak uh, physical condition. And it's Big like. Big as fuck, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I saw the training camp for the Jacksonville Jaguars when um I used to live in Jacksonville for a little bit when I was in the military. Mm-hmm. And uh, my parents and my mother-in-law came down to visit when we had our uh, second kid. Yeah. And they just happened to pick the same hotel that the Jaguars were staying in for their training camp. Yeah. So we went to meet them for breakfast and they had like a, you know, like an omelet bar done and pancakes and shit like that. As soon as I walk in, another guy walks out who's like six foot eight and three times as wide as me from shoulder to shoulder. And I'm just like, what the fuck? I come sit down. All of a sudden I see all these other giants walking around. And then someone's like, oh, yeah, the Jaguars are doing the training camp here. I'm like, holy shit, these guys are big. And that's like, I- not even human big. These are animals. Yeah, dog. Like, these people, these dudes be freaks of nature, man. So it was like comedy still found a way. Like, I followed my dream. And I still ended up being in the same room doing on the same platform as the guys that I was like 10, 15, 20 years ago. Like, all right, I'm going to be here with them. But I am. I'm standing right there shoulder to shoulder with them. But I'm just less concussed. You know what I'm saying? My, and like just I, all the other benefits of not playing football, I got to accept the money part, which I feel like that's coming too, just with all the opportunities and stuff. Because like I say, all this stuff, I didn't plan none of this. So I don't know if I'm doing a good job or a bad job, but it's like <laughs> shit that I plan was like, you like in my head, if I do comedy, I'm going to end up doing a show at the Fox. And I did, but I didn't know I was going to do one of the biggest ones of the year that made all this noise and that, People kept, like Nardos had to remind me, like Josh, like, okay, yeah, you did what you had to do up there, but everybody wasn't like you was 
equipped to handle whatever happened in there, just like that. And the lion shit, like, I didn't know what to say in there. Like, I didn't know what I was going to do in there. But when I got in there, I guess my 10,000 hours kicked in where it was like, mm. it ain't much It ain't much I can't handle. It ain't too many situations you can put me in that I can't come out victorious. And I'm sure beforehand, somebody was probably like, no, guys, don't get mad. Yeah. Like, my man was, like, my man who put the show together was like, he was, he, the, the my, my dude's student was like, you know, he was hitting me like, his job was on the line. He was like, man, I suggested you and. Can you please not do the da da da? And then afterwards, bro, he hit me like, man, I thank you, man. Like, I, I might have got the little nigga promotion. Like, it was, it went really good, man. <laughs> really good. So, uh, yeah, I, I saw that reel, man, where you were lighting up Hutchinson. Okay, now let me ask you a quick question. You, you got him good there, but was there one where you were like, oh, they used that? Why didn't they use this one? Oh, bro, uh, it was like thirty minutes. I did thirty minutes. They only took three, three minutes of it and put it up. I mean, because it's hard knocks. I mean, I ain't there, but you know what I'm saying? Like, but I was like the star of that episode, which was kind of cool. But it was a... Because, I mean, you did. You got him good. But was there one where you're like, fuck, I would have I would have put this clip of me lighting up this dude instead. Oh, bro, it was a lot of them. I mean, I can't... It was so <laughs> that I'm like, I wish they would just give us the footage, but it's HBO. But, man, I, I said some shit about Deshaun Watson, bro. And I just said a bunch of shit. Like, I was just going there because I'm like, all right, we talking football shit. I can go crazy, like. This was the SBs to me. It's like, all right, I'm hitting every player in there. I was gonna say, how did the room? How did the room react to the the controversial uh, player the, who you just named, Mister w- Mr. Oh, Watson? Oh, everybody groaned and they laughed. And then oh. I looked at the camera and kind of broke the fourth wall because I knew we were not gonna use it. Yeah, I just basically said, man, I told him to stay focused and stay away from them uh, ten million dollar massages. Yeah. <laughs> and then everybody, motherfuckers, kind of fell out. And then. <laughs> I looked in the camera like, yeah, HBO, we ain't going to use that one. You know what I'm saying? Just broke the fourth wall to play around. But, I mean, it was just a lot of shit. And it was just like, it was me being able to sit around with, in a, I mean, I hate to say a locker room or in a barbershop, but it was on HBO. And I was just in there like, all right, I ain't got to do much material. I'm just going to talk shit with y'all because this is a break from the norm. Y'all thought y'all was in here in another meeting and all that. It was like, nah, man, here, come on, let's talk some shit. So, it was cool. Was there anybody on that team that you were like, you don't even have to name names, but where you were just like, I could take that guy. Jared besides Goff. besides the kicker, Jared Goff. <laughs> Jared Goff, cool as hell. but no, it's like, but I mean, a lot of the guys was big, but I mean, in reality, when I walked in there, it was like, oh, okay, bet you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm pretty, like, I was the same size as a lot of them dudes. Like, yeah, you know, like coach looked at me like, damn, what up? You trying to play tight end? Like, like, <laughs> so, but yeah, and if, he's not I, a little dude either. Yeah, if I would if I would have pissed somebody off and we still good. Oh, yep, there you go. My bad, he'll collect the car. All right, uh, <laughs> if if I would have said something that would have incited a riot in there and they would have ran up on me, I would have jumped on somebody from HBO. Somebody was getting fucked up. Like, yeah, if the whole team would have jumped on me, I would have just grabbed, like, a cameraman or a sound guy and I would have just been at the bottom of the pile kind of fucking that person up. So. <laughs> Use one of those boom boom stands as a, yeah. like a Donatello <laughs> staff. Out of a PA while I'm getting punched in the head by DeAndre Swift. <laughs> he he real little too but he a beast yeah yeah i forget how little the cornerbacks are because everybody else is so big but some of those guys are only like five eight yeah a lot of them dudes like i like i said deandre swift like one of the best running backs in the league he like five nine but he just fast he's strong and low I mean, center of gravity big big legs yeah big legs and shit like that and the dude just you know it's in you to be what you're gonna be in the beginning like he was built to be a running back and that's just yeah. what that experience was like, bro, I got a lot of calls, a lot of emails, my money, you know, my my ticket went up as far as what I charge. Like, 
And then they put me up on the jumbo screen. They gave me tickets to the home opener, which was like a record crowd of yeah. like 80,000 people and um against Philadelphia. And um they lost, but you know, they was like, we're gonna show you. It was like we're gonna play a clip and then um are you performing? And then we're gonna cut to you. And they cut to me, and I'm just like, that was like overwhelming. Like 80,000 people heard me. You know, I know a lot of people saw the show, but to be in a room and watch it with 80,000 people, and then they cut to me, it was like, damn, this is like, this this some next level shit. You know what I'm saying? So this just been a good, man, this year been good, man. Like, and I just, I can't wait to see what's coming next. I'm curious now, like, how long from the time that you have the idea of a joke and, like, you tell it the first time, how many times do you think you tell a joke before you're like, oh, this is how this joke is supposed to be? Do you, mm-hmm. do you, do you get it right the first time sometimes, or does it usually take some, like, oh, I tried it this way, but I subbed this word out, or I said it this way, but I, you know, did an act out instead, or, like, whatever? Uh, I, well, I always tell comedians, like, a joke when you first do it, it's literally only, like, 40% done. Yeah. Like 40%. And for most comedians, they just glad that they got a laugh. Yeah. And I'm, joke still needs to be worked on to get a hundred percent. Like Kool-Aid would like write a joke and you would hear the joke and be like, he added so much funny to the joke where it's like, it ain't no more room for nothing funnier. He's found yeah. everything or everything in this joke. He's found a beat in it to make it funny to the point where let's say the joke is 10 minutes long and they like, all right, Kool-Aid, you got like a five minute set or a seven minute set he can just take out do 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 and make it seven minutes yeah. and it's and it's and it's still filled up with with humor i uh me personally like because i, I kind of i improvise a lot of freestyle a lot on stage mm-hmm. a lot of times when i do a joke it's kind of 70 percent. like all right this is killing but how do i take it to that level where people is like like spitting and falling over and can't you know, breathe doubled over literally then, doubled over so then like that might take me i mean that that might take a month you know what I'm saying? Of me just steady going and doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And I have to really force myself because my mind is weird. Like where I come up with shit so much and my memory is terrible that I have a joke that I was working on and then I forget because I move on to the next one and mm. didn't complete the last one. So I think it takes, I mean, it takes time to really craft a joke, man. Like it really takes six months to like get your joke where it's supposed to be. You like, yep, this joke funny as hell. Yeah. And unless I come up with another tag that just fall out the sky. But Six months, three to six months, man, depending on like how long you've been doing it. Yeah. Most of the shows that you do now, you're probably like getting at least 20, 30 minutes of time now, right? Yeah, now I I, I really uh I popped up the other show, Joe. That seven was cool, but yeah, reality, if somebody booking me, man, I ain't doing no less than 30. Like it's like I gotta at least do 30 minutes. Yeah. So when you're doing your 30 minutes to an hour, however long you're doing, do you have it like kind of planned out like, okay, I know this joke's going to do good. I know this joke's going to do good. Let me slide something in between it that I'm working on or like uh, how, how often will you try out stuff when you're doing like a professional headlining set? Uh, Try not to try nothing when I'm, when I'm being paid. Yeah. The book show, I kind of try to be like, all right, let me go here. I mean, I, I mean, I got to take that back. Cause I mean I freestyle up there, so I improvise. So when I'm improvising, but it's just something about ICAC. I just kind of know when I do that, it's gonna work. So I mean, I most of the time though, like new, new, new shit, it'd be at open mics. Like I probably 
throw it in here and there in the middle of like I just at open mic you just try all your new shit like all right let's see this new shit work and tag your other stuff but I mean if it's a new joke that I really like I throw it out there and just in the middle because you know like I was telling a comedian the other day if they don't laugh they don't know it ain't funny they don't yeah. know that was a joke they just know you threw something out there and you can just kind of breeze past it and it's not a thing it's just like they're not they ain't nobody gonna stop you like no nah, bitch that wasn't funny that part that's gonna get work it's just like you go but 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 and they don't do shit. And then you go like, yeah, well, but it just you continue the conversation as yeah. far as doing comedy. But yeah, I, I I try to throw new stuff in there, uh, like um, mostly at the open mics. And if I got a good feel for it, like I'll do it on the show. But nothing brand brand fucking new. Like, oh, I got this thought. I'm gonna do it right before I stage. Like, nah. Well, let me switch that question a little bit then. How much of your open mic sets is stuff where you're like, okay, I know this will make people laugh, or are you purely just there testing stuff out? on open mic nights. Oh, that's the lab. I don't know. Like it's it's, it's a thought I might have had driving over there. Some I might have saw on TV do two days before. But do you feel like you owe people like at least one or two really polished jokes that you know will kill when you're doing that? Or are you like, this is where I this is where I no, work so open, out. Open mic, you didn't pay to be here. Yeah. And like we here kicking it. I kind of chastise the crowd a lot a lot of times too at the end of my set where they be treating other comedians weird. Where I'm like, look, y'all, this is an open mic. Like, we come here, like, if shit don't work, it don't mean the comedian ain't funny. They just bringing up thoughts that they're going to make funny. So that way, when you pay to come see us, then this shit will be polished. It'll be a different joke. Yeah. So, like, once that's established, you can appreciate the show a little differently. You don't come here like, this is terrible. It's like, no, you getting to watch, like, you getting to watch them make the steak. Like, yeah, before they bring it to the table. Like, you don't look at the steak before and be like, that look terrible it's like well bitch i ain't cooked it yet i didn't season it i didn't do nothing to it yet so yeah and you can probably work on your crowd work a little bit and also like i went to an open mic here in grand rapids and there was a gentleman who was sitting like at the front corner of the stage and he wasn't even like heckling you're not funny but he was just talking loudly being like last guy was a lot funnier than this guy that guy wasn't funny at all like just loud enough to be heard and And nobody addressed it like five open micers went up and then finally one like polished comedian went up and just is like first thing is like hey listen sir i don't want to hear anything from you while i'm up here not one word yeah. all right everybody so blah 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 like yeah i got a thing about bullies too like i don't like that shit so i kind of address it like it's been times that i fuck i, I fuck around not even do my set because somebody would be doing it or somebody would be heckling comedians it's like you know it's just something in me like in comedy and in life i just i hate a I hate a bully so it's like, man, shut the fuck up. Like, if you're not having fun, you ain't enjoying it, go home, my guy. Like, nobody asked you to sit here and critique and judge. Yeah. Or get the fuck up here and you do five. It's open mic. It's like, yeah, like, this shit sounds like it's not easy. So it's like, you can leave, bro. Like, you can get the hell on. So, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. But, yeah, most of the time I'm in open mic, I'm trying new shit out, brand new stuff, or I'm adding new tags to old jokes. So they might get laughs because they already established jokes, but I'm trying a new twist to it, a spin. Or adding this or taking this out to see how it would, you know, say how it would work. Like this is kind of the most technical I ever talked about comedy on anything. This is funny. <laughs> All right, well, let's take it back to something that's less technical then. Um, oh, oh shit, I was just gonna, I was just thinking of a video that I had seen about a comedian. What was that shit? Uh, 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 oh god, I had that thought and it was gone. It slipped on some old bong resin. Now it's gone. <laughs> um. No, fuck. What were we just talking about, though? We were talking about uh, new jokes and where do we try them at? And if I try, uh, do I know if they're funny or not? No, I think it was something about the heckler. Fuck, I can't remember. I'm just going to move on. (laughs) All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to get you out of here before we uh, have a chance to talk about your podcast. (laughs) 
Uh, Josh Adams podcast, man. Um, I do it every Wednesday at eight o'clock. We go live from YouTube and Facebook. Um, man, it's kind of like this is a kind I just like you know, I just like having people on and having good conversations. Like it's almost like you just get in the city on two, three, four people having a good conversation, usually about relationships, sex, sports, or something like that. We kind of be all over the place. But I, I started it uh when everybody started podcasts. That's the funny thing. When everybody was like, oh, I got a podcast. I was like, all right, fuck it, I'm going to get one. And then it was funny because once, and I didn't even do it a lot. I just had it and I'd be like, man, I don't feel like doing it this week. Mm-hmm. And then I, then COVID happened and it was no place to do nothing. And it became like my stage. Like I started, I went from like doing it every once in a while. I might miss three weeks and not do it. And my man's like, bro, you got to be more consistent. People going to listen. They having a good, they like your shit. But then once COVID hit, I was doing it. I went from doing it every once a month to doing it three times a week. Like I would do a Monday, <laughs> Wednesday, Friday because it was nothing to do. Yeah. Um, I like fell in love with the porn. Like it's almost it's almost like an open mic in itself because we hit topics that I can kind of kick it and talk shit with people about. It. And then, you know, I, from the laughs that I get from the people on the show or just the people going live, like, oh, I can bring this piece and try it on stage. So, yeah, dude, it's uh, I realize you got to have a, uh, you got to have different platforms for people to stand on. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to you, like they got to have different ways to connect. Cause I can go a little deeper on stuff in my podcast than I could on stage. I can scratch the surface on stage. And then as far as my podcast go, I can go a little bit deeper about my thoughts. So I think people be wanting to hear that. Yeah. I see a lot of your clips on social media, like the girl with the nice ass who could launch that football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the, what the hell is this, uh, handicap sign? Yeah. <laughs> Did you really jump on social media like the same time you're doing the podcast? Or were you always uh, kind of on top of that? I, I've been on social media like so, so since social media became a thing. I've been on it. You know what I'm saying? You can- but have you been on it, or have you been like actively working like marketing and promoting yourself? I just recently started being more active on it. Like at first, I was just having fun, and then people I would make videos, and people was like, "Hey, you should keep doing that." The whole a uh, girl throwing the football with a fat ass was a video that I, idea that I, that came from this dude that I'm cool with, a comedian named D. Jones. I should call him Damian Jones, but that's his real name. I don't call him that. His name D. Jones. He keeps sending me videos of girls with fat asses twerking or whatever. Was, <laughs> I was And I was like, you know, because I like fat asses. And he was like, I'm about to do some videos where I critique girls with fat asses twerking. And I was like, I feel like people have done that already. I was telling like, you should do videos of girls with fat asses doing regular shit. Like mm-hmm. that'll become a thing to where girls will start sending you videos of them just gardening with a fat ass, and they yeah. like he just didn't do it. And I kept telling them, like I told him one more time, like bro, you should do the video with girls. He kept sending me girls working. I'm like, bro, I feel like you can get off on this if you want to do something with fat asses. This is it. Like just have a girl going to the bank, going to the ATM, getting her shit out with a fat ass, doing regular stuff. <laughs> didn't do it. So then I was like, all right, I'm gonna do it. This video came up with this girl who threw the football damn near 40 yards on a rope. And having mm-hmm. that fat ass. So then I was like, all right, I'm just gonna do the video. I start calling the videos girls with fat ass. I was like, girls with fat ass can do more than twerk. So then the whole basis of the video was showing girls with fat asses doing regular stuff. And um, uh, I did one with that. It was one with a girl shooting a rifle with a fat ass. It was another one with a girl getting tased with a fat ass. <laughs> so I just like stuff that that seemed fun and it seemed like it ain't the normal shit that you would see. I kind of try to do that on social media because it's important. It's another way to reach a, reach people. Like some people might have didn't know me as a stand up, but they saw that video and now they see my stand up. Yeah. And then on the flip side, the people who see my stand up 
get to see other shit, get to see me do something on social media that's outside of me being on stage. So it's just trying to be be more like fill up more lanes because I can and I feel like I can, I'm kind of like, you know, I ain't gonna say bullshitting, but I could be doing more. Yeah, no, that that's cool, too, man. And there's a there's a few comedians that I've seen that have a good presence on social media and it can't hurt, man. I'm, I'm trying to trying to get better at it with my book too because there's part of me that feels like man i feel like a whore trying to promote myself but then there's the other part of me that's like well if you're gonna do something creative and you want people to know about it it's part of the game and that's that's the and that's the 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 double-edged sword where it's like as a creative you're like i don't want to just throw i don't i want to do it for the art but i also want like not recognition but like i want i want it to be seen this this is how I look at it. Like people talk money and all that. I just want to make people favorite shit. And it's like, if you want to make people favorite shit, how how are you going to reach the people who this might be their favorite thing if you don't put it out there? Yeah. How do you find it. It's so much stuff that they gotta dig through to find you. You gotta put yourself out there. And mm-hmm. it's funny that you said that. I'm learning that myself to where it's like you have to promote the things that you do so the people that you want to reach can find it because mm-hmm. they're not gonna come across your page, man. It's a big world full of motherfuckers making videos. Uh, a dumb shit now. So it's like you gotta, you gotta do the minutia. You gotta push your shit. So you're not, you, man. You sound like me, bro. You sound just like me, man. Yeah. Well, a lot of things you were saying reminded me of me too. Because I started this podcast. Somebody was, um, I was on someone else's podcast, and they're like, "Hey, man, you should start one. I can, I can show you how to do all this and where to go to get this stuff done for the art and blah 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 blah." blah. And I was like, "All right, fine." And my first episode came out like the first week of February, 2020. And then it was like, all right, I'll I'll try to do, you know, two of these a month at least. But then immediately everything started going into lockdown and it was just like, all right, I need to guess for next week and next week after that. And I'll maybe plan a solo one for this. I'll start writing that out now. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it was for me, man. It was yeah. like, I can't get on stage. This is going to be my stage. And then I learned how to go, like, you know, live. And then I would do my podcast. I learned how to work the board. I learned how to target all the shit that I didn't learn. Like I added a whole nother skill set over COVID that I would have never had because I didn't think of it because I was always like, I'm always going to be able to go perform in front of some people somewhere and do some comedy. And then when it didn't happen no more, I literally was in there doing that podcast every day, going live, talking to the people on my phone, mm-hmm. doing the audio shit. And now it's to the point now where I got a stream yard. I don't do that part, but I got my producer there like EJ. Uh, Kari, and then whatever guests come through, bro, we kick it, man. And um, it's a it's a thing, man. As an artist, like you said, man, being creative, having to understand that it's an art to business and marketing. And if you mm. appreciate it for that, then it's only gonna expand the art that you create just in general. Yeah. Um, like my guy keep wanting me to add segments to my show. He like, man, you need segments. You need segments. I know you want to just go talk shit and be funny. He like, but people gravitate to segments. But it's something in me. The artist that's lazy, I want to say it's just me being like the art, but it's me just being lazy. Like, man, I just want to come kick it, do shit, and the magic will happen. But it's like you have to be able to conjure up some of that magic and know, like, all right, if you got a segment, people look forward to this segment and that segment amongst all the other, you know what I'm saying, shit you do outside of the concept. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I struggle, I think, the most with, like, I don't know. I try to be self-aware, but I don't have a total idea of like how a complete stranger would view me. You know what I mean? I know I'm just a little weird. I'm a little out there and I'm kind of like, hey, nice to meet you. Like to everybody that I meet, which puts some people off. But uh, I'm trying to find this zone where I can be like really authentic 
but then also be promoting my thing, but not be like Mr. Used Car Salesman. Hey, come on down. We only got five left. It's definitely a way to do that. It's a, it's a way to find that middle ground of you selling your shit and at the same time still being you and not coming off corny. So yeah. it's work, man. It's a work in progress. I, I'm trying to figure it out the same way you is, bro. And mm -hmm. I think you got the right idea. And But it's just a brick by brick mentality, too. It takes time. Like, it takes 16, 17 years for me to be good enough or for me to have impressed enough people to get the opportunities I'm getting now. So I understand that it's not all going to be overnight. You know, yeah. so what you're doing will come in time when you look up and you know how to promote your shit and to the point where your people, your audience fuck with you so much that they push it for you. Like, I want to show my people this, you know, because it's currency. It's like, if it make me feel good, I'm. it's like people smoke weed. This weed, good. You should try this. I want you to feel good. You should try this. Your podcast is a thing that make people feel good. They're going to give it to people to try. So it's just like, once you realize what you're giving away is a currency, people will appreciate it like that. Yeah. Speaking of smoking weed. Go ahead. Get you one in. Get you one in, sir. Maybe that's why I couldn't remember what I was trying to talk about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, a friend of mine, well, friend of ours, was giving me some advice. I was like, man, I'm kind of getting annoyed about this and this and this and the things that I'm seeing with um, uh, just, you know, some of my peers or some of the traps of the industry, traps that people get into when they don't know any better. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Mike was like, man, listen, your, your writing career started in June. If you keep getting all pissed off about everything like this, you're going to get <laughs> burnout and you're not going to want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a matter of finding the right focus and uh, staying in your lane. Because yeah. if you get in other people's lanes, like he said, you get in other people's lanes, you're gonna you're gonna have an accident. That now, you're not gonna want to do it anymore. Great way to put it, man. I think we put a lot on ourselves in this society of like microwavable shit. Like you want what you want right now. Yeah. And in, in, in reality, man, the people who who last the longest kind of went through the most to get there. So, man, just enjoy the moment. Like you know, celebrate your you know celebrate. All your the small victories now, like I used to be like that. Like I used to kind of like, all right, I'll do stuff and didn't appreciate it. But I would be thinking to myself, like, now man, you gotta celebrate that. You gotta celebrate it because it's that positive reinforcement that make you keep going. And the people around you who support you wanna celebrate with you. So when you do something, you celebrate that shit. But you don't, you don't, you know what I'm saying? You don't, you know what I'm saying? You gotta celebrate where you at because you at one point in time you couldn't wait to get here. Yeah. Like I look at it like that, like I couldn't wait to do a show at the Fox. And now I'm here and now I'm finna run and what's the next thing? I wanna do uh four field. It's like, no, it's like, hey man, you where you supposed to be. Appreciate it. Cause it's almost like yeah. a slap guy that you don't appreciate this point that you at and then get to the next point. So just yeah. understand it's a journey, dog, and you moving at the pace you supposed to be moving at. Just cause just because you ain't made it to if you driving to Chicago, just because you didn't make it to Chicago, you don't mean you're a failure. You're on your way to Chicago. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Just got to Kalamazoo, damn. Yeah, it's still going to be there if you're there a day late. And that's what I'm saying. So I'm just and I'm saying this to you to keep reinforcing it to myself. Like, yeah, you you moving at the pace you moving at, man. And I think you get confirmations over time. Like that you're doing the right shit and it might be small confirmation. It might be a girl you like. You finally got the fuck. It might be a book you <laughs> was looking for. It might be a show you got. Like, I just look at little things that give you confirmation to be like, all right, man, I've been doing what I was supposed to do. And I got rewarded with this thing. So just anybody that's just doing something, man, if it's worth doing, it's going to be hard. 
and you're gonna have you're gonna get a lot of no's. Um, and you're gonna hear more no's and yeses. And honestly, you gotta be thankful for the no's just as much as you are the yeses. Because mm. Oh, that's stuff, a that's great advice. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's great advice. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just cause sometimes stuff we wanted, we'd be mad about that we didn't get, but it's a reason you didn't get it. You weren't supposed to, because like a little kid when there's like, I want this, and the parents are like, hell no. Exactly. It it was like, um, I mean, I can tell the story now. Uh Oh, my boy Jeff, who did the Don't Tell show with me, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's my guy. We in a group together uh, called the Motown Lab Kings. Me, him, Ron Taylor, Darius Bennett. Uh, Hardest City came here. Kevin Hart had a show where he was giving comedians in areas that people weren't paying attention to the light on Comedy Central. So they came here. I auditioned. Um, long story short, I got it. But they only wanted to put comedians on who hadn't done any TV. Uh, I, at that time, I had only done Fox. And I had did BET Apollo. I'm sure. But none of this shit you could find. Like right now, I couldn't type in Josh Adams BT Apollo. It's not popping up. And then Fox Laughs was kind of on Fox in certain markets because they was testing it out. So it wasn't everywhere. It might be in Orlando at midnight and El Paso at 10 p.m. But it wasn't yeah. just like no nationally show, no syndicated show. I don't know if it's syndicated on TV or whatever, but it wasn't everywhere. Yeah. Broadcasting show. And um, so they called me. It was like, we want you to close the show out. And um. I'm like, bet, because anybody who do Heart of the City, if you the one closing out, you have a best set, you end up getting a 30-minute special from Kevin Hart, produced by him. Oh, yeah. So the producer called me. I was like, we picked you, you want it. I'm like, bet. And, he, and then they was like, well, we'll see you tomorrow. I'll call you tomorrow. He called me right back. Have you done any TV? And I'm thinking, like, I'm a lot of this man. He don't know me. <laughs> and, like, he shouldn't be able to find it if I can't find it. So I was yeah. like, no, I never did TV. So then I guess he went and just hit the internet and interviews I had that I did for like different newspaper publications and magazines was like Fox and Labs. He asked me about it. I was like, oh yeah, I did it. But you know, that shit really ain't on TV. You can't even find it if you wanted to. So I don't really count it. They was like, all right, well, we'll talk to you later. Never talk to him again. The next day I found out my boy Jay Bell got it. Jeff, Boogie, and Mike Jeter. And they did phenomenal. They all went on to do the things they wanted to do. And for the longest time, I was kind of bitter and fucked up about it. But I think about it like, you know, if it was meant for me, it would have been for me. And who knows? You know what I'm saying? What yeah, some people get all fucked up and they're just like, well, I guess my career is over. Fuck it. You can feel that way. And then you can be bitter towards motherfuckers like, nigga, you're only on there because they didn't put me on there. Like, I know people like that, but I got out of it and I was like, cool. They it was for them. That blessing was for them. And, yeah. it was and that's the other thing, too, that's really cool uh, of you in that instance is to just be happy for somebody that they got something. Yeah. Because you know I, mean? I, I always do that with my kids. They're like, how come they got that? I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you get stuff too, and you don't want everybody else to get what you get. Just be happy that they got that. And that's a good way to put it, man. And it was just like, I was, I, I mean, admittedly, I felt the way because I'm human, but I, I felt. Yeah. I Again, we all, we all have egos. Yeah, yeah. I felt like I felt my way and I worked out of it and it made me a better person. Was like, wasn't for me, dog. And mm. now I got, and now I've done the things I've done. Like, I mean, I remember people was like, and the wild part is my homeboy at the time was like, man, we should still go down there and you meet Kevin Hart and kind of network with him because they picked you. So you just talk to him. And I don't like networking. The, the artists in me, because I don't I don't like. I don't like talking to people because I know they're beneficial to me. Like, I, if I'm fucking with you, I just want to be like, all right, you just a cool person. And if we can work together, we can work together. But outside of that, we still cool because you just a cool dude or a cool woman. Yeah. So we went down to the taping of it. So now I'm there. I don't have a ticket to get in. I'm standing in line. They was kind of just letting people in. So I'm like in line. People looking at me like, you ain't on this? So it was like the worst feeling in the world that people was like, you supposed to be on this. 
So now I'm sitting there holding back tears, standing in line, looking dumb as hell, finally get inside. And then I'm watching my guys tear this bitch apart. And then I just was like, it was like the worst feeling in the world. It's like, it was like you were supposed to go to the Super Bowl and you didn't and some play happened and you didn't make it, but you still got tickets. And then they sat you way at the fucking top. Mm. And we're looking at you like, damn, you was just in the AFC championship. And now you sitting up here at the top with me with the worst seats in the Super Bowl. So mm. it was like that. But I, like I said, you got to be thankful for the yeses just as much as you're thankful for the no's. I mean, the mm. no's is for the yeses because it all it all makes you who you are at the end of the day. So like, I'm just real big on that now. Like not tripping about what I don't get. Cause you know, I get what I get and I'm cool with that. Yeah. I just want to let that sit for a second. Yeah, man. Let it simmer, man. That's the way the, the best food is the shit you let simmer in the juice. It's like, <laughs> yeah, man, I'm more independent now, man. When I come to thinking about like, I'm not looking for somebody to save me. I'm not waiting for Comedy Central to give me a deal on Netflix or Hulu. I'm going to shoot my own special and I am going to build my own audience. And all I need is 100,000 people to fuck with me across the world. And as long as I can do that, that's at the, that's at the floor. Yeah. I'm going to give them content and give them things. So that way they're going to be like, yep, this is worth me paying for. Like if I know I got analytics and I can be like 300 people fuck with me in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm going to find a venue that hosts 300 people and I'm going to throw a show there and I'm going to go do my podcast and I'm going to do my comedy show and I'm going to give them people what they love about me. So as long yeah. as I do that, I'll be fine, man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What do you think about the model people are doing now where they're just putting their hour on YouTube for free? It makes sense. I mean, you got to I mean, get- Mar- Mark Norman's said he tried to shop his around all over the place and just was like, fuck it, I'll put it on YouTube. And now it's got like millions of hits. And then now the next special, they got to pay you. Yeah. If, they, if you want to do that. Or now that you got a million people seeing you on YouTube, I remember Louis C.K. used to release his special on his website. It's like, all right, for all you people that fuck with me, if a million people saw it, all right, give me $2 and come watch it on my shit. And then yeah. you get in this exclusive yours. And then now you get whatever money that comes from that. You got that. Your people supported you. And if you want now, all right, I'll sell it to you, Comedy Central. You can set it up. You can play it on there. It's like yeah. you have to wait on somebody to give you the green light when ain't nobody between you and the audience but you figuring out what the algorithm is or how to break it to reach the people that want to fuck with you. That's all That's all it is, man, is figuring out how to go direct to consumer. Like, how do I take this thing I got, which is funny, this is a special right here I recorded right here. And it's like, how do I take this and just give it to the people? Like, I don't have to give it to, all right, here you go, uh, Netflix, or here you go, Amazon Prime. No, I can be like, bam, here y'all go. And y'all and hope that they promote it. That's it. Hope they promote it. But you just gotta, you just gotta, you gotta bet on yourself, man, and do the work and not want somebody to put some money behind you to kind of try to like boost what it is, whatever it is you got going on. When yeah. all you got to do is just do the work. If you do the work, you get all of the money. You get all of the benefits from it, man. And it's just more, ben- it's just, and it's just, that's the best way to play it, man. I'm just not waiting on nobody to come tap me on my shoulder and be like, all right, you can have your turn. I was like, no, nah, man, I'm gonna do me. Yeah. Yeah. I, my book that uh, is out now, I was talking to a, a small publisher because I wasn't, having any luck with big ones um and they were like all right well yeah you know we'll give you 40 percent of the i was like 40 percent i wrote the book you should be taking less than half exactly and, and they're all like well you know the business model is like okay you know what i've got a podcast i'll just promote this myself and actually like go around places and try to meet people and be like hey you want to buy my book exactly and, i mean well, I, I don't have the numbers that stephen right. king does but it's a science fiction, a little bit of horror. It's time travel. Uh, okay. So it's kids in 1996 get in a time travel war against their adult selves. 
That's hard. All you got to do is find a way to get it in front of the people who would like that kind of like that kind of shit. Like yeah. that's all it is. Is finding like how to in like to insert yourself somewhere. Like I don't know at a comic con or go somewhere and put your book out there to where other motherfuckers will see it and then it elevates the platform. That's that's all it is, man. Because that's a great idea. Yeah, and I've been selling it in weird places too. I got a dispensary here in Grand Rapids. Farmhouse Wellness sells it in their um, lobby. I talked to another coffee house that might put it up in their lobby. And then it's in a few uh, like free reading libraries and like coffee houses and stuff like that around here. And I go to events. Actually, we were talking about funny full circle, full circle moments. I had one last night. I did a, an art market in a coffee shop that I finished my book in. Mm, that's well, dope. I finished the first draft of it anyway. So, and I remember texting, like I took a picture of me with my computer and I sent it to my wife. I was like, I finished it. She was like, "Oh my god!" And then, yeah, two years later, I'm selling selling the thing there. That's dope. And you say it's a it's a it's a it's a sci-fi what now? Sci-fi with a little bit of horror. So there's like a a parasitic fungus, which is a real thing in in real life called the zombie fungus, and it affects ants in real life, and it makes them grow this weird spore out of the back of their head when they die, and then shit pops out of that. Yeah. But in the book, that affects people. And then so people in the future are trying to get back into the past to get away from it. But when they time travel, they switch uh, bodies. So the adult goes into the kid's body in 96 and the kid goes into the adult's body in the future. Wow. I'm going to have to talk to you after we get off here. I got some shit I'm working out, but I could easily see you. doing. And I got a copy for you, too, next time you're in town. Oh, I appreciate it. I, I could easily see you doing some shit like a 1996 theme party where hmm. everybody dressed and everything is 1996 theme and then from there you sell your book yeah or promote it like that like shit like that that try to give people like a bag of yikes pencils or something when they walk in the door as a swag bag and that's what i'm saying so it's like <laughs> it was coming you having fun and then it's like man i went to this thing this guy got, got this book that's based on boom 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 and it's like shit like that it will make it fun and then on top of it now you fuck around find out this is one of your favorite things not you don't read this book so mm. it's all kind of ways to like to, to just jumpstart what it is you're doing. You just got to just dig in your bag and find out a way to be more creative as far as marketing. Like, yeah, it's, it's way 90s, uh, uh, karaoke, uh, 1996 theme karaoke night where all mm. from 1996. Yeah. And I don't know, man, just different shit like that. But so I got yeah. this idea and I, damn, and it's so funny that I just talked to you. Yeah, man, I'm gonna have to talk that's, to you. Here. That's crazy. Cause I, last night at this thing that I was, <laughs> I was selling books. The guy to my right was selling art, which I got this. There it is. I got this pin from him. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy on my left was doing free tarot readings. So I went and got a free tarot reading. And he was like, wow, man, it looks like uh, it looks like you're a very intellectual person who's constantly at odds with yourself because you're being pulled in several different directions constantly. And your eye is on the big thing. But you don't realize that the big thing is what's happening now. I was like, wow. God damn. That was some insightful shit. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm trying to live now, man. I'm trying to not, every time I'm like, all right, so who am I going to have on the podcast next week? Be like, oh, wait, my son's right here, and he's drawing a picture. Let's look at that. Yeah, man, all right. <clears throat> Creators, man, our heads be going in a bunch of different places. At a constantly, bunch of constantly. I get so many people like, man, you think, man, you should make a, you should make a, you should make an album. I'm like, yeah, I got a special, you know what I mean? You should put a special out. Hey, man, you want to be in my movie? Oh, man, I'm thinking I should write my movie. And it's just like, oh, okay, I got all these ideas, and I want to do a once-a-month comedy show. But it's trying to find a way to 
compartmentalize everything and understand outside of all these ideas I have, I also have to work. I have kids that I have to try to be a part of their life in some kind of way. You know what I'm saying? And then I got a regular life outside of me. And then if I don't live a regular life, it kind of affect me on stage. It's like, what am I talking about if I don't have a regular fucking life? I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. It's like, so it's just a, it's a juggling act, bro. Yeah, it is. I always tell people too, it feels kind of like, uh, you used to watch those like clips from those old variety shows where they would have somebody that have like eight plates spinning on these sticks and they're just constantly spinning the one. Oh, that one's about to fall. I feel like that guy. Yeah. I was finna say that was the analogy I was finna use was spinning plates. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot going on, man. But I just, you know, I think, uh, it's just go back to that whole thing, man. Slow down. You're moving at the pace you need to, and you take care of what you can take care of while you can take care of it. Like, you know, you don't rush. So every day struggle, bro. I tell myself every day, like I'm going to get up now. I should try to write this script, but I'm not. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta forgive yourself sometimes for not being productive all the time. Otherwise you just get dogged out about man. Fuck. I should be doing more. I do the same thing. Same thing. Yeah, man. It's crazy, bro. Mm-hmm. Well, Hey man, I told you I wasn't going to keep you more than an hour and I did. So, um, I've asked you everything I needed to ask you. Is there anything you want to say, uh, parting words or anything? No, man, I appreciate you, uh, having me on your, uh, on your podcast, bro. I hope I, uh, I know you said you was been trying to get me on here a while back and I forgot about it. I ain't gonna lie, man. So much stuff be going on. So I, you was, you was mad cool about it. And when you said it, I was like, fucking, I ain't doing that Sunday. I'd have just been in. <laughs> so I was like, all right, bet. I'm gonna, uh, let's do it. We do a Sunday. So I appreciate you, man. Being patient with me, guy. And, um, uh, shit, anytime you need me, man, you want me on here, let me know, bro. I'll come back. All right. I'm with it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. That was Josh Adams. Please check him out. He's hilarious. And uh, keep listening to the show. And if you really like what you got going here, buy my book, Switchers. Link is in my website. Okay, bye. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Weird, right?